Welcome to the Great Trials Podcast, where you get a behind-the-scenes look at America's greatest trials with the trial lawyers who tried them. All right, welcome everybody. This is part two to our interview with Professor Moshik Temkin about the Sacco Vanzetti affair. Enjoy. Please rise, court is now in session. What do you think, um, you know, when I, in reading about um, your book and in reading, um, you know, sort of other articles about the case, um, but I'm, I'm interested in your take on what made you know, as you point out, for for a case to have an effect like this internationally, where it was talked about, it has to be it has to be striking some kind of nerve. It has to be resonating. What what was it about this case? Do you think that made that happen? Versus, I think while this case was egregious, there's probably other ones that other you know criminal trials or um, civil rights type cases or right. cases against black people um, mm-hmm. where 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 there was a lot of um, injustice. Um, what do you think what it was about this case that it became such an international issue? Right. right. I mean, you know, it's like what yeah. Yvonne says, there's lots of injustices in America. Why is it this one that got, you know, so much publicity and not some of the others? Yeah. Excellent question. So, uh, something like this will never have one cause. Right. So, so this is the least, this is the thing that people least like about historians when you're, you're asking me a simple direct question. I'm like, well, you know, it's complicated. It's going to take me five months to explain this properly. And, and you also have right. to read my book. Right, right, right. Exactly. Christmas, Christmas is coming up and it's right. never too late to go to your favorite uh, bookstores. Uh, or absolutely, and, and absolutely. It, so. Amazon. I know it's on twenty-five percent off at the <laughs> moment. I believe. Anyway, Paco Vanzetti you know, affair. Make, America yeah, on makes trial. a nice makes a nice gift. You know, like fits yeah. nicely in that sock. Okay, so <laughs> uh, no. In all in all seriousness, there's a there's a number of things going on. One is has to do with the history of immigration in this country, right? And the 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 trajectory. Okay, so I think immigration, as you know, is a very sensitive topic today, and it was a sensitive topic then. So I think that um, part of it is the story of immigration in America and how America treats its immigrants, whether immigrants actually um, are welcomed in this country or not, right? And here was a debate, I think, about immigration playing out in one case. Are immigrants, you know, a good thing or a bad thing? Are they a a positive uh, influence or a negative influence? Or should we allow people in or not allow people in? And that's that's a long-standing history, very powerful. And I think Sacco and Vanzetti uh, kind of uh, were symbolic of that. Okay? And so I think that that's one level that it happened. The other is our long-standing history in America of debates over, you know, how to treat political radicalism, right? Especially from that kind, you know, the left. So uh, people who are revolutionaries, people, I mean, the more famous examples, of course, communists, right? And our, our history of anti-communism and the McCarthy era is very well known. And even today it plays out, right? Uh, but back then it was also very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. That that we we and that in that in that period, it was particularly important to look at um you know the the fears of of radicalism mixed with fears of immigration of a particular sort with a crime makes it kind of already mm-hmm. explode almost inherent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the third uh, has to do with the relationship between America and the rest of the world, right? Uh, when I wrote this book, it was actually sort of in the wake of the 
I guess the you know the war on terror had been on for about ten years, and and I was really fascinated with how um, you know we as a country were engaged in this war on terror and what kind of effects you could see it on the American people. Because I think that you can make an argument that the last uh, you know that the from two thousand eight through two thousand sixteen, a lot of the politics, especially at the presidential level, had to do with you know what kind of effect the war on terror. Uh, especially the war in Iraq had on the American public, right? Uh, irrespective of how much they actually knew about the war, but how it kind of played out at, at home. So I think here, this is an era after World War I, when there's a lot of ambivalence in the United States about American power in the world. So America becomes very powerful as it is today, but is become, beginning to become powerful. But a lot of Americans are very uncomfortable with this engagement with the world. Uh, with especially the ways in which then uh, people kind of expect uh, American contribution, American leadership in the world. Uh, and here it was like the, the, the fact that Sacco and Mazzetti were foreigners, uh, being, because they were foreigners, they were Italian citizens, right? They're being put on trial in, in the United States at a time when the United States is becoming supposedly a global leader, a global power. Uh, makes people pay a lot of attention to what's happening to the United States, really kind of focus on America for the first time. We take it for granted today that America is kind of like the center of the world and everybody knows about American culture and everybody's very influenced by America, politically, culturally, economically. But back then it was kind of new, right? So I think there was a lot of discomfort uh, among Americans in particular about this kind of role so I think that was also part of what made this case so, you know, so, so explosive. And finally, the last is just goes down to the, to the personalities. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've always believed that this case has this uh, pretty incredible cast of characters um, that would um, just, you know, was compelling, whether we're talking about Sacco and Vanzetti themselves, who uh, were um, very impressive to people. You know, Vanzetti in particular, you could read entire texts. People visit him in prison and they come away in awe. Uh, they were comparing, they were talking about everything from, you know, his, 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 his look, you know, his, 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 uh, his gaze, his eyes, the way he talked. Um, people started becoming correspondents with him. He was very, um, there was something very charismatic about the guy. He was even compared to, you know, this might sound sacrilegious, but they were comparing him to Jesus Christ because he was being martyred for his, you know, for being such a, such a lofty person and etc. cetera. Uh, so on the cover of your book, is yeah. he the one with the big mustache or not? Yeah, that's the big, the mustache. big mustache guy. Yeah, okay. that's <laughs> right. Yeah. And he's also this otherworldly dreamy character. You know, he's unmarried and nobody, you know, he's something, something for, for some reason, he struck a chord with people. He, he, you know, I wasn't, and it was, the, it was men, women, all kinds of people of different political stripes. You know, he, he exchanges letters with Henry Ford and with Albert Einstein, with Edna St. Vincent Millay and with all these other people. And he reads books and he writes, starts writing, you know, reviews of these. So he's, there's something about him, I think, and Sacco as well, which, makes this so compelling. And then you have 
this, uh, you know, Fayer and all these other characters in the story, which I think were very easy for people to kind of latch on as a narrative, right? Um, and on both sides. So I'm giving kind of like the Sacco Vanzetti perspective, but let's mm-hmm. not forget there's another side to this. And that's the side in the sense that that won the battle, if not the war, which is saying, no, no, these no, these two guys were really bad guys, and they and and what happened here was something virtuous, you know. That uh, of course, mm-hmm. there are also debates about whether they did it or not, right? But right. in the sense that no, these were part of a terrorist uh, organization that wanted to topple the American government, and and even if if we're talking about a a very problematic trial, uh, in the end, you know, we shouldn't have sympathy for characters like this. And the state of Massachusetts did what it needed to do to, to protect the people. You know, that, that's a point of view, which at the time was very powerful and still is, right? I still hear it and people, people even write to me and say things like that. So I don't think it's that, 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 un, that unusual. So I think it really became an emotional as well as a legal and political investment for a lot of people. Yeah, I read some things about Vanzetti that I, I guess when he went into prison, he his English wasn't uh, all that great. But but as he was in prison, he learned English very well, became quite a prolific writer and, and even became a mm-hmm. poet. Uh, and and uh, I, I can't remember, did he publish like uh, some of his poetry works? Um, it, his, let, his letters came out um, in it's not so much poetry, but he uh, after actually after the execution the letters of Sacco and Vanzetti became a bestseller. Okay. It was like compiled, but they, but you're right. It was very eloquent. I would use the word poetic even. Okay. So he's not writing poetry exactly, but he's writing these eloquent letters to a whole, that's what he's spending all his time doing. He's writing to all kinds of people. And, um, and that became part of the myth of the, the, the mythology of the man um, and Sacco, Sacco as well. And so I think that that was part of, I think, what drove people to fight for them so hard is that that belief that this was this was a terrible injustice and it was being done to the people who weren't not weren't just innocent, but were actually um, aspirational. Okay, that that I think that is part of it's not like. You know, you probably are acquainted with many cases where you say, well, this is an injustice. The, the defendant is a very unsavory person, right? It's not like we would like want to hang out with this person or be friends with this person at all. But there's an, you know, there's an injustice here or there or mm-hmm. clearly the person is, is, you know, there's a problem with the here. It was like beyond that. Here is a sense was that the the two men being railroaded are uh, these these almost. uh you know these people who are who are uh, uh, so you know so lofty and so grandiose that we we can ha- we can hardly do justice right to the to how how terrible this story is right to actually execute these people for something that they didn't do the belief was strong that that they didn't do it right but as you know there is still debate today right. about whether they did it or not right. Uh, I'm just talking about that that perception. Mm-hmm. And I think that I always, you know, as a historian, I'm going to write about um, context and I'm going to write about politics and what's happening in the world at large. But I'm, I'm very interested just in people, their their mm-hmm. their personalities, their uh, what drives them, what motivates them. And I think that this story would never have become so famous 
if it weren't also for the personalities of the people involved, Sakhalin Manzetti, but also a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious, and this is sort of taking us back for a second. The um, in your research, the um, attempted robbery in Bridgewater that Vanzetti was uh, convicted of, and um, and he, I think they even called him the Shotgun Bandit, or he got this nickname as the Shotgun Bandit. Um, did you do any research into into that crime and whether or not he potentially was involved with it, or was that sort of a similar miscarriage of justice? So I didn't I didn't do that's a good question. I didn't do any particular research, especially criminal research into whether, uh, you know, to that crime, uh, because I was more focused on the Sacco Vanzetti trial after the Bridgewater trial. But it always struck me uh, a couple of things about that. First of all, that it's the same judge. Right. So it's it's, just, it's always the same one judge who clearly dislikes these guys. I mean, I've never, yeah. you know, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like even today. Can you imagine like a, a judge that's just openly expressing his disdain in public and in private uh, to to about defendants on a, on, a mur- on a murder case? Right. So it would be very problematic. Right. Uh, now. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing is that they kind of snuck in that Bridgewater trial in between the time that they were arrested and they were put on trial for the yeah, it seemed, trial. It seemed and very so, quick. Yeah. So the pro and the pro and then the prosecution isn't that isn't that I just say I mean I'm I'm asking you isn't that really convenient for the uh, prosecution yeah. that one of your one of the people that you're now tra- prosecuting oh and as it happens he's been convicted for a very similar crime uh, and he's been given already twelve to fifteen years. By the way, for an attempted robbery and attempted murder, no one was hurt right. in this crime. Okay, uh, so that I think as a serves as a, a really important backdrop for um, the you know then the Sacco Vanzetti trial. Now again, you know, did Vanzetti do it? Uh, I have to share some of the impression that you know I never so you know I'm. I might l- look it, but I haven't, I didn't, I wasn't actually alive when these right. events took place. <laughs> right. So I can't tell you what my impression of Vanzetti would have been meeting him, but I can tell you, I did a lot of research into the impression that people came away when meeting Vanzetti. And I'm not talking about starry eyed people or naive people. I'm talking about people who had seen a thing or two. Okay? Right. I'm talking about people who really knew that, you know, were like hard nosed, not naive people who had like, you know, seen it all. They right. met Vanzetti, all right? And take it a, you know, with a grain of salt. They come out and they say, I'm sorry, guys, there is no way uh, that yeah. this guy uh, is a shotgun, you know, used it. Like he could, uh, this guy, I can't even imagine him hurting a fly. Hey, this is not, this is not a, a, a criminal or a violent criminal. And again, would he participate in some political act that, you know, of, uh, has to do with, anarchist revolution of which there had been examples right that i mentioned maybe that that's another that's another story but there there is such a dissonance here okay between and i think even in the legal world there is something of that right i mean when you represent someone i'm assuming that you know whether the person actually did it or not is not your top that's not the question right the question is can you you know the re, about reasonable doubt and your your job is to represent the client but here it's not like people are saying oh i'm agnostic I don't know yeah. if he did it or not. I'm just saying, that, no, his own lawyer, William Thompson, who was a guy. Now, this is a very um, upper crust Massachusetts uh, a legal person who, you know, w- you could easily imagine him being part of the system 
you know, that that kind of puts him on trial and would be prosecuting him. He's making statements that saying there is there. This is the you know, the the, the finest man I have ever met. Uh, he's not just innocent. He's someone that we should all aspire to be. Killing him is a sin. You know, he's talking in a way that lawyers don't usually talk, right. at least in my experience. OK, maybe not, you know, maybe in yours <laughs> yeah. uh, about their cli- about their clients. OK, uh, but he's saying it, I think, for reasons that are both strategic because he's trying to make an impression. OK, because there's a process playing out. But I also think it's genuine. Okay? It's almost like you don't expect it. You, ex- you you've never met people like that in your life if you're from that background that he was. He meets Vanzetti and he comes away so impressed. So I've always found it a little bit dubious, right, uh, yeah. to associate them with this particular crime. So I, I guess we should talk about some of the work that was done afterwards and getting into this question of whether or not they actually did it. And, and I understand, you know, like the case against Sacco seemed to be, I think even his own lawyer admitted the case against Sacco was much stronger than the case against Vanzetti. Um, there was at least a little bit more evidence that tied Sacco to it. Um, the, the I, let's start there with, uh, with, with, with Fred Moore. Um, there, there was, you know, he's the one who, who handled the trial and then handled the, um, uh, handled the motions for new trial. And even his own um, associate, was pretty critical of the way he handled the case afterwards. And then there's this letter or this this letter that came out uh, that Upton Sinclair in a, in a meeting that Upton Sinclair had with Fred Moore. You want to talk a little bit about what came yeah. out in those? Yeah. So so let me start with some background. OK, so. The, yeah. So the the last uh, chapter of my my book, which is, again, is is. A great Christmas and yeah, any other absolutely. kind of yeah. holiday yeah. present. Doesn't New have to Year. Be Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's right. New Year. There's all <laughs> kinds of holidays. Many holidays. So books <laughs> are strongly recommended. That so the last chapter of the book focuses on the afterlife of the case, precisely because it kept coming up again and again and again. And uh, Yvonne, to answer to address your question from before, it wasn't just at the time. I think it touched on these evergreen themes in our country. Um, that people are interested in, right? Mm-hmm. That, that have to do with justice, that have to do with the legal system, have to do with the federal system, the relationship between states and the, the, the country as a whole. This is something that comes up all the time uh, and et cetera. So I think, you know, um, the, the issue that you're talking about, Steve, is in that context, okay, of this kind of constant interest, especially because there's something haunting about the case. What if we did we execute two innocent people? Right. Like, were those guys, were those guys innocent? Does, did we commit some kind of original sin here for which we, for which we need to pay in some kind of karmic way? Right. And, and, and to what degree was this an injustice or maybe, yeah, the, pro, the, the trial was problematic, but maybe they, maybe they were, maybe they were guilty, you know? And so this debate has been going on. A lot of work has come out, um, especially in the 1960s. Uh, and then after that, in the 70s and 80s, that was actually trying to establish a link uh, between them and the crime, especially Sacco, and making the case that, yes, they in fact, they were guilty. Uh, there were also, at the same time, uh, books and works that, that, that actually used some of the same sort of techniques, ballistics analysis and all kinds of other stuff, which I know very little uh, to make the opposite claim that they were that there is still no case, strong case against them, 
and they were probably innocent. So it's not a one-sided thing. It happens on happens on both sides. Now, there's also these like testimonies, including from Fred Moore and the letter to Upton Sinclair. So look, um, I've always found Fred Moore to be a bit of a um, dubious character in some ways. So first of all, we have to keep in mind that he, it ended badly. He was, Sacco fired him. And in the last letter to Fred Moore, he accused him of, of being, you know, have completely bungled the case, not uh, listening to, not taking care of their legal interests, but promoting his own agenda. And he said, I'm signing this letter, your implacable enemy now and forever. Now, those are Sacco's final words of Fred Moore. So keep that in mind. Anytime you see yeah. something with Fred Moore, that this is a guy who basically had a big falling out with his former client. Okay, so that, and now I always, you know, Fred Moore comes into the courtroom um, from the beginning. Yeah, okay, I see that, yeah, Judge Thayer is a, you know, it's almost like a, it would, you know, in another in another world, it would be like a some kind of uh, you know almost like a comic film about you know a, a, a lawyer a lawyer and a and a judge from two completely different universes, right? And mm-hmm. he's coming into this this Boston court with long hair, taking off his shoes, uh, putting his putting his feet up. Um, he's his friends are talking about his drug use outside uh, outside of the court. He's from California. I guess they did things differently <laughs> over there. Okay, this, but we're in Boston now. Right, right. And the judge doesn't like him. Now, the judge doesn't like a lot of people, but this, they, you know, he does. They don't. They clash from the beginning. And the problem with Fred Moore, as I see it, is that he's spending a lot of his energy trying to. Um, maybe he's right about this. He basically says, "Look, we don't actually stand a chance in this guy's court. He, he's gonna. We're gonna get where the jury and they're gonna convict. So what we need to do." is stir up public opinion. So he's like writing letters and he's trying to raise, you know, he's trying to raise consciousness about this. And so I can see the logic behind that politically, although what it would accomplish in a court of law, I don't know. It wouldn't accomplish anything. On the contrary, it would probably be damaging. And it was, right? Um, but legally, he just didn't, you know, he was never particularly functional or efficient. He made a lot of he made a lot of bad decisions. So it was just an unsuccessful defense on his part. Now, I don't want to accuse him of anything, but I've never found him to be a particularly reliable. um, He's he's not a person who inspires any great confidence when he gives he gives testimony. Right. There is a lot of hearsay back and forth about. And by the way, in the letter, he just says stuff that is like it's like. um, uh. Yeah, actually, Sako was guilty. Oh, really? Um, what do you, you know? It's like, okay, so you're saying he, why Why should we take that as some kind of state and definitive statement about, uh, about, about Sako or anybody else? Now, again, it could very well be, okay, that um, Sako was guilty or at least was involved, but I don't, I never took Fred Moore's statement. Right to be any kind of proof of that. But also I have to say, I also don't take take with a grain of salt the other side when they make statements about, because for example, just to, sorry to to drag this on, they kept talking about Sacco and Vanzetti as these dreamy figures, these, these, you know, these peaceful people, these philosophers, they weren't, they were anarchists who believed in direct action. They were about violent overthrow of the government. Those are not peaceful people. 
Okay, they're not uh, dreamy people. They're they're actually they they have in them the possibility of violence. Except that I believe, and this is my my I'm speculating. I believe that that potential for violence would be directed in a very different way, right, from the crime that they were actually uh, accused of. Ivan, uh, you know that the practice of law since the pandemic has started has completely changed. Completely changed. A lot more pajamas involved for me. Yes, yes. A lot more working from the computer. Yes. And only getting dressed from the uh, from the waist up. But you know who has helped that change and that transition immensely in our practice and can help everybody else in theirs is legal technology services. That's right. I mean, being good at doing things virtually, at doing things through Zoom, through video conference online, it's more important now than ever. I'll say Zoom or WebEx or whatever you use now Legal Technology Services has completely changed how they do things in order to get you organized, looking good. Our depositions, our hearings, our mediations have all changed. And a big part of that is because we do them all virtually and we're doing them with the help of Legal Technology Services. So they get our exhibits in order, um, you know, and you call up the exhibits by number. They'll highlight them, they'll enlarge them, they'll do whatever they want. And it actually flows really well. I do have to say, I think my depositions are more organized now than they were before the pandemic because I used to just walk in with like a giant box of documents and then I'd pull out the documents and go through them and uh, now I'm much more organized because of legal technology services. Yeah and I mean LTS I'm gonna I'm gonna call them LTS because we're on a first name basis (laughs) you know my favorite thing about them is that we work with them a lot their staff is really highly trained and you can always count on them to represent you well whether they're doing your trial technology when we have in-person trials one day or if they're handling your depositions or they're doing settlement videos, other kinds of videos documenting stuff for you, you can always count on them to conduct themselves well. Clients like them, judges like them, courts like them, lawyers like them. Yeah, the one thing that I have to say is uh, when we're in trial, while I think we do pretty good in front of juries and hopefully they like us, they always like our trial texts, whether it's Bob, Taylor, Quentin, David, Liz, just any one of the people over there, they're all fantastic. And of course, Melanie, who runs the ship over there, but they do more than just exhibits. They do day in the life videos. They do settlement documentaries. They do demonstratives and everything they do is just excellent. And you can look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. And I can say that if you call them and tell them that you heard about them on the Great Trials podcast, then you get 10% off of your first service. So look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. And I do want to say, even though they're based in Georgia, they do work nationwide. And they, I know they've done trials all over the country. Uh, but look them up at LTSAtlanta.com. So his associate, I guess, had made some comments that, that Fred Moore was the type of lawyer that if he believed his clients were innocent, then there's nothing he wouldn't do to get them off, uh, including suborning uh, you know, perjury. And, and, and uh, this is what his associate said. And then and apparently there were some allegations in the Upton Sinclair letter that he admitted to pressuring some witnesses into uh, giving alibis for Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh, I didn't know if you had looked into that. Uh, you know. uh, I didn't. Ex- so I didn't personally like, examine Fred Moore's claims. Right. I always found it bizarre. First of all, uh, 
isn't there always some extent of pressure? Like if you're trying right. to defend a, a client and there's like reluctant acquaintances who are scared to come forward. Like I'm not even a lawyer, of but course, I, I, like, of I've, course. Seen it, I've seen it on TV. That's like right. somebody right. says, no, I, I'm scared. I don't want to come and testify. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, you must come testify. Yeah. Right. You must help. You're my only, you're the only hope for my client, et cetera. Right. So this is not, I'm not saying this is what happened. But what this is like such an this is this doesn't strike me as such an extraordinary thing to put right. some pressure on a on a you know on, on testimony especially if you think the testimony is going to exonerate your client uh, who is be, is is on trial on 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 trial for for his life right so um, I didn't examine that but I will say this when people did testify on behalf of Vanzetti for example um, who are the kind of people who are going to be buying eels right he said by the way in the bridge Bridgewater trial. He said, I was nowhere near Bridgewater. I was selling eels in Plymouth. And here, by the way, are 12 people who bought eels from me. Here they are. And then it's like an array of Italian immigrants who barely speak any English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of the problem is that these guys, these people come up on the stand and they don't speak very good English. And it's very easy for the prosecution to make them look like asking them questions like, you know, making them seem like they don't remember the dates or they're mm-hmm. confused. And it's enough to, especially in that atmosphere, it's enough to make them to stumble once or twice to basically kill their testimony with the jury. Right. And that's what that's what happened. Um, so I don't think Fred Moore had anything to do, anything to do with that. I don't think anybody, I don't believe that they were pressured uh, to testify. But again, Steve, this is, I apologize. I can't answer no. those questions definitively. And Steve, I'll tell you something else. Nobody knows. <laughs> right, right. It's true. Like I always say, the the only people who like would know are are dead, and 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 they you know they've been probably dead for a long time. I don't think yeah. that we have anybody today who could definitively answer, you know, these kinds of questions about guilt or innocence. Well, I'll just bring up one more because it, it does get mentioned a lot in the research. Is, is this 1961 ballistics test of the yeah. uh, of the bullet? Uh, the third is like the third bullet or something like yeah. that. Uh, where they say that they, or at least somebody says that they definitively match that to Sacco's gun. Yeah. Um, what, what's your thoughts about that? So my thoughts on that as a non-lawyer, right. non-ballistics <laughs> expert person, right. is that it has been, it was 1961, 40 years after the fact, Right. somebody brings in bullets or whatever and says, ah, I have proof that, the, I, I just, I don't, I never found that that line of investigation. Right particularly convincing or compelling. Okay, this is pre this is pre DNA. This is not the DNA era, so we're not like, you know, this is much more speculative. Okay. Right. Even during the trial there were conflicting testimonies between ballistics experts who uh, were saying conflicting things. Even at the time that that study came out in 1961, there were other kind of counter arguments about ballistics. But mostly I always found that it's sort of um you know, like an endless, this endless, hopeless question of, uh, I have no means of knowing whether a ballistics test is is convincing or not. Uh, and in any case, I never thought that that was the most compelling part of this history. Mm-hmm. Right. I never thought that that's what we can learn from, whether, you know, the ballistics matched Sacco's, Sacco's gun. Because even if it did, okay, let's say that Sacco was guilty. Let's even say that they were both actually guilty we know that the trial was not a good trial. Right. We know that. Right. Right. You can have guilty clients, okay, or guilty defendants who actually did it, but the whole process is politicized. The judge is making out outrageous uh, statements that prejudice the jury. Um, 
the you know the jury is is already selected in a way that is going to be almost a guarantee of a conviction and we see that in a lot of other cases with black defendants of course which is a much more extreme case right case uh type so um i think that those are separate questions right and and this is something we all can agree on that there's the question of guilt or innocence in principle but then there's a the question of a trial is it fair or not right which right. is what we, what we're really trying to do when we have a legal system is to have fair trials, right? Where that's the system that we ideally have. So I think that was also a line of argument at the time where people were uh, agnostic as I am in a way um, and saying, look, uh, we don't know, or maybe they were guilty or even I might even think they're guilty, but I also think that they didn't get a fair trial. Right. And that's the problem. And that's sort of uh, what, what I took it as what uh, uh, Felix Frankfurter and and, uh, and Roscoe Pound, the, the lawyers that were looking at this and sort of dissecting it, were saying is whether or not they were guilty or innocent. The trial was flawed and it wasn't a fair trial. And, right. you know, and, and at the end of the day, that's what we want in our justice system. Regardless, is is everybody deserves a fair trial, whether you're guilty or innocent. Exactly. So. Exactly. I think that was a problem that a lot of people had with this. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, where do you see I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about where do you see the sort of legacy of, of Sacco Vanzetti on today? I know that you have written about this some and in, in, on, you know, how it how it still affects us today or at least what the some of the um, uh, things that were felt and going on at the time still affect us today. Yeah, I think I, I wrote, uh, as I said before, I wrote this book uh, when the, I actually started researching this book when the years following 9-11 uh, and the responses that we saw in, in this country to uh, the events of 9-11 and everything that happened afterwards. And I was really interested in how uh, Americans tend to respond uh, to these attitudes outside the United States to things happening inside the United States. So for example, um, in the case of Sakun Manzetti, I, 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 I say at some point in the book that uh, it's not that they were executed in spite of the protest around the world, but in a way because of it. Mm -hmm. It's almost like doubling, doubling down. Right. So this idea is the idea of, you know, if we're if we if we are faced with this kind of international protest uh, over what we're what we're what is happening inside our, our country, then uh, we actually have to we can't give in to that protest because that's like, you know, that that offends our sensibility and our patriotic sensibilities. And it also takes us into the domain of, you know, kind of caving into pressure giving into the terrorists or what have you, okay? So I think that we, there was, at the time that I was writing, I felt a similar dynamic where a lot of the prosecution, as it were, of the of the war on terror was uh, almost a kind of a, a doubling down or a reaction to the and, and, uh, pretty large scale protest that was happening outside the country to what, was you know what the decision making was uh, was in the United States at the time, and I, I I felt that there were some 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 parallels there that were really kind of kind of on my mind uh, as I looked at the Sacco Vanzetti case. So I thought that was a pretty important legacy 
But then the other part of it, I think, was what I mentioned before, is this uh, ongoing issue of, of immigration. It came up again um, you know, in, in, in recent years, where I think it's a constant issue in, 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 in our politics. And, and here, I really think that a lot of the debates that we have over, for example, you know, should we shut down immigration because it's out of immigration that we get subversive uh, activities in the United States, dangerous activities in the United States. This is an argument that you hear all the time on a particular side of the political spectrum. Um, this is the same sort of arguments that you heard about immigration in Sacco Vanzetti and Vanzetti's era, and it was made about Sacco and Vanzetti themselves, right, as examples of this. So I think that this kind of uh, lives on. And then I'm very attuned to um, the ways in which Sacco and Vanzetti some kind, sometimes come, come up in popular culture. Uh, so, for example, uh, you, you're probably very familiar with The Sopranos, mm -hmm. yeah. and The Sopranos have an episode in which... <laughs> It's it's a uh, an episode in which well you know they're at the soprano family is at the dinner table, and at the dinner table it's actually a great scene at the dinner table Tony Soprano goes into this rant about how Italian Americans have been victimized in this country right uh, and he says at some point they won't tell you about Sacco and Vanzetti which I thought was really funny uh, he's using Sacco and Vanzetti sort of in, you know in in defense of his own of his own activities I guess. Um, but, you know, those things, so it's, it lingers on, you see little, you know, these little signs that it's still with us, it's still around us, it's still part of our discourse, it's still part of our culture. Um, and it's also true, you both mentioned that you were like coming up to speed on the case or that you kind of, maybe if you studied American history, but didn't encounter it, you, it's, it's actually interesting, it was before World War II, if there were two things happening in the United States that were famous around the world before World War II, it was probably two things. I would say Jim Crow mm -hmm. okay, and the Sacco Vanzetti affair. Those were two things that if you ask people in Europe or South you know, Latin America or other parts of the world, well, what do you know about what's happening inside the United States? Let's say, well, we know there's like segregation, Jim Crow, and we've heard about the Sacco Vanzetti affair. The two famous things. So it's very interesting that right. in some ways the Sacco Vanzetti affair has uh, you know, fallen off that, you know, that mm -hmm. level of, 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 of awareness. Part of it is just because of how much water there's been under the bridge. Right. Everything right. that's happened since then. Right. So it seems, it seems distant. So it doesn't live with us in terms of as an institution, you know, for example, Jim Crow, we don't have Jim Crow, but we still have many ways, the, the direct legacies of Jim Crow in all yeah. sorts of ways. Right. Um, Sacco Vanzetti, it's a bit more subtle than that. That's why, you know, I gave the example of immigration. There's ways in which it kind of resonates today uh, in a more in, in a more indirect way. Uh, so, if you will learn about Sacco and Vanzetti in high school or in college, taking U.S. history, that really depends on who your teachers are, who your professors are, and also what part of the country you're in. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming that there are parts of the country where you might not encounter Sacco and Vanzetti, but if you're in Massachusetts, you will. Right. 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 Yeah. Although, Yvonne, Tony could have been right. Maybe that explains why you did so well in American history, but didn't know about Sacco and Vanzetti. Um, yeah, sure. Let's let's say that. Let's right. say it's that. It has, it has nothing let's. to do with the fact that every time we do a case that has any kind of historical context, I'm like, wait, what now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So Yvonne, the internet is getting more and more crowded, especially ever since the pandemic. And it's getting harder and harder to get noticed online. And you can have all the great verdicts in the world, but if nobody knows about them, then they're not going to come and hire your law firm. So you need to find a company like Digital Law Marketing. That's right. It turns out that what you put on the internet is no good if people can't find it. And Steve, we've talked about this, but now that I finally know what SEO is, which is search engine optimization. It's really important that your firm's site is is maximizing the hits that it's going to get. And something that digital law marketing is doing that's really cool right now is they're offering free SEO audits uh, for law firm campaigns. So that's something our listeners should take advantage of. Yeah, because it's hard to get around the internet and know how to make yourself visible without having somebody help you. And they are the experts in this. And not only will they help you design your website if you need to, they'll do your content marketing, they'll do your search engine optimization, as Yvonne just said, they'll do your pay-per-click marketing, social media marketing, and they also will offer full management on Google's new local service ads, which we just learned about and are trying to get into, but it's another way that you can put yourself out there and get people to know who you are. And digital law marketing is great at it. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things I think is cool is that you work with them and they really make you feel like they know your firm and they know you and that they help you with your web presence so that it feels individual. It doesn't feel cookie cutter. It feels like they know the people at your firm and they get what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's not like they already have a website done and just give you one that's already been done. But they will spend time with you, get to know your personality, put your personality into the website. And you should go visit them at digitallawmarketing.com. That's digitallawmarketing.com. Tell them, tell them we sent you. Professor Temkin, this has just been a, a, a really fascinating talk. And, and, and thank you for spending time with us. And uh, I want to remind everybody, we've been talking with uh, uh, Professor Moshik Temkin, uh, who's the uh, professor of history and public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School, a fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School uh, and at the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. And you can look him up at hks.harvard.edu. Um, and uh, if you want a nice Christmas present and want a nice uh, you know, birthday present, then you should go out and pick up the, uh, the Sacco Vanzetti Affair, America on Trial, Yale University Press, 2009. Uh, great book by uh, Professor Timken. And, uh, and we, you can't we, put it, you won't be able to put it down. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Isn't that what they always say? <laughs> can, exactly. I, uh, can I ask, can I ask yeah. you guys a question? Yeah. Uh, so what your, is your impression so just about the trial itself? Because I know that that's what you're, you know, you're, you're usually focused on. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the trial when you look and if you looked at it, what did you think of it? Was it interesting from just from a like a lawyer's perspective? Did you say to yourself, oh, this is not, you know, it's more interesting when you look at it outside or or do you say, well, what, what would I see here? It's happening in the courtroom or the, the way the lawyers are handling it, the judge, the defense, whatever it is. What, what, what was your impression? I'm just curious. Well, uh, so, uh, you know, one thing that we forgot to mention, or I forgot to mention, which was uh, that apparently they pulled in like 650 jurors uh, for this and had a very hard time striking a jury uh, out of 650, getting a jury of 12, hmm. uh, which, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I'm wondering why that was such a, a, a big issue, especially when you seem to have a judge who who probably wouldn't care if somebody had strong feelings about anarchy or an- anarchists as long as they were negative. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, you know, we sort of, we sort of, uh, I, I guess skim some of the surface of the trial, but, you know, from what I understand, there was about 150 witnesses, 
Um, so lots of witnesses on both sides. Um, and, it, and it seemed like for every witness who said they saw somebody that looked like Sacco or Vanzetti there, there was another witness by the defense that said they were somewhere else. Uh, like, we, you know, the other thing we didn't mention is that Sacco didn't show up at work that day uh, at his shoe factory, but right. he uh, his excuse was that he had gone into Boston to go get a, um, a passport and right. that there were several people who saw him there who testified that they saw him getting his passport. Um, so, so, you know, it is, it is interesting that you had all, you know, all of this evidence, um, it, I, it, it seems to me, I mean, judges can have a very profound effect on a trial and it seems like this judge probably had a pretty profound effect on this trial and on the jury. Uh, and it also seemed to me that even if, even though you had weeks of testimony, um, and this trial went on for a long time, it seemed like the jury turned their verdict around very quick. Um, yeah, so it's. It, it seemed it like a few hours. Right. So, hours, I mean, I to, to have a jury turn around that quick when they've been in trial for several weeks is surprising, even for a guilty verdict. Although you do you, you would see that come back you know, faster a lot of times or, or you know, one way or the other. But um, so I, I, I think it is a very interesting trial. Uh, it, it certainly sounds like it had a lot of problems that were sort of, uh, you know, in the in the time that it was done, in the people who were involved, we we didn't even talk about the prosecutor who seemed like he had some of his own issues um, in the case. But uh, but I, I I thought it was a very fascinating case. What do you think, Yvonne? Yeah, you know what I what I thought in terms of what we do now is is that. Um, you know, like in, in civil cases in the kind of work that Steve and I do a lot of times, there's evidence that you want to get into the trial in like a product defect case that you can't or that's very difficult to get in things like um, other similar incident evidence, you know, where the same mm -hmm. products hurt other people in a similar way. And the standards to get that evidence in are very high. The standards for a witness who's been convicted of a crime before or, you know, or a defendant who's done something else wrong before. It's very difficult to get that evidence in. And, and on our side, on, on a lot of the work that we do, it can be really frustrating because there's this evidence that that you know of where a defendant mm. should have known about the danger of a product or something mm -hmm. that for whatever reason, it's not similar enough or you have a judge who doesn't want you to let it in. You're not getting it in to evidence. Um, and it can be really frustrating. You want the jury to know about it. But the flip side is that was a thing I kept thinking about and reading about this case was the things that the jury learned about, like like about these guys and them going to Mexico, about a lot of their you know beliefs and associations that didn't have weren't really established to have anything to do with the crime. Um, it just it made me think about, you know, that's why you have that's why those things are in place. And obviously, civil and criminal, you've got a lot of different standards, mm -hmm. but that's why it's so important is because as much as we would like our juries and our cases to hear about some of that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. as, as you brought up in this case, uh, you know, two guys died. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, you know, I didn't read the transcript of the case, but it, it, it does bring up this issue with having your clients testify in a criminal trial, which most criminal lawyers will tell you you don't do unless right. you've got a really good reason for doing it. But I, I, I do wonder if maybe some of that stuff about their anarchist beliefs and about them uh, not going, not, you know, going down to Mexico to avoid, uh, um, you know, being registered for the draft only came out because it was cross-examination of them, you know, which right. there, it, yeah. there, it is much more broad uh, when right. you get into that area. So. Right. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good okay. point.
Yeah. But, but I have to say, you know, you kept, no. you kept mentioning you're not a lawyer professor, but, but for not being a lawyer, you're very good at the disclaimers of, um, right. Yeah, that's right. exactly. <laughs> you think like hey, a lawyer. Yeah. No, I'm just being, I'm just a cautious man, you know, <laughs> I don't know, you know, you never know, right. No, I, I, I have, I have had the pleasure of, uh, you know, uh, befriending lawyers and knowing right. people. So I think I know a little bit, no, that I, I was, I was being a little, I know, I know. Joking, I was joking around, but but it's uh no, it's always really interesting. And I, in fact, it was only as a after I think even like years after I actually published the book that I kind of I think I reread it for like preparing for a class. And I said, there's there's like something in here in which I'm. Sometimes I read my own stuff, and I'm like, right, (laughs) what on earth were you thinking, you idiot? Like, I just, I don't recognize it. I don't agree with this. This is insanity. Kind, kind of like some, when we listen to our old podcasts and we're like, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. I can't, for example, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time listening to this right. podcast here, <laughs> right, listening right. to myself. It's horrible. Uh, but it's it's true also that sometimes I, uh, when I read this, I say, well, there's like a, there seems to be an interest on my part in actually what takes place in the legal process, right? And and how how it played out the the, the you know the courtroom dynamics I think are uh, were were very interesting to me. But it's also how again I won't repeat myself too much, but that things that happen in that trial then kind of um, as you said, Yvonne, actually they became an issue later on. So it's not just about like the immediate reaction mm-hmm. in that moment, but like six years later when it gets dissected. You know, you can imagine like what that's like, like every single and there was a commission. So they studied and they they even asked the jurors, like they interrogated the jurors and said, which is kind of silly when you, like they asked the jurors, hey, jurors, were you impacted at all by the political atmosphere that was going on at the time? Right. And the jurors okay. were like, no, what are you talking about? What political atmosphere? I don't know about any political atmosphere. I'm like, I'm a serious juror. All right, I did right. was study the, the 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 evidence, right? And so the commission is like, we asked the jury and they said they were not influenced yeah. by the... Right. Like, really? Right. That's, and so yeah. jo- actually John Dewey, the philosopher, wrote a, a famous article in the New Republic in which he completely made fun of the commission for saying these jurors are so like so impressive. They are like, they can know when they're being impacted right. psychologically by goings on in the world and when they're not. Right. Right. And so, you know, so that, much, that was, so much more in touch than the rest of us. Yeah. It's like, Whoa, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, I don't know where, you know, what, what I'm going to have for breakfast. I don't let alone what's going on. Like, you know, in my, in my, in the, in the recesses of my mind. Right. So um, yeah, that, that I think was part of why it seemed ridiculous to a lot of people. And, and, and it was, um, Again, you know, you you probably also know this. If you're you're part of a system, because okay, so you if you work in a in a in a court system, but you want that court, it's not just about your own success and your own clients. You want that court system to be respectable. You you want to be proud of being part of that system. You don't want to have some a very egregious case become like the the only thing that people know about the whole world in which you work in. Right. Right. And because that then impugns on you. And, and even if you had nothing to do with it, it feels very um, degrading in a way, I think. Yeah. If that's the case. Right. And I think that was a lot of what was happening there. It's like a lot of very serious people were looking at this lawyers. You know, they were looking not like necessarily, you know, political leaders or philo- lawyers were looking at this and they were pointing out some of the they were like, this is 
this is just not serious. This is not, it's almost at the level of, can, of a kangaroo court, not in terms of the number of it, but the, the way that, the, especially the decorum, the breaches of decorum, the way that, you know, that there was all these things happening that are going to clearly prejudice um, the jury. So I think that that was, that was very disturbing for people in real time. And then for the year. So that's why I kind of asked you about that, because yeah, I, I was yeah. just curious to get out like a professional sense. Of well, it. you know, and the thing is, is, that, you know, we're all strong believers in the justice system, but we recognize that it has flaws sure. and it's never perfect. Uh, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that these two men had to lose their lives out of it. But it sounds like that um, there were changes made to some of the laws because of this case, some changes yeah. made to how juries, you know, how trials were done afterwards, which, you know, it it it. it uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, you sort of learn from and try to make the system better. Um, you know, and there were also two dead. There, were, there was a murder. Right. That's right. And and they deserve justice. You know, I don't want to diminish that. We're talking about Sacco and Manzetti, but there were two men, working men, innocent, who were, you know, victims of a crime. And you want to know that the 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 the, uh, the legal process did justice to that crime as well. Right. That's so right. It's not just about executing potentially innocent people it would you know but at least knowing that the trial was conducted fairly that you have a re, you know there that people are convicted beyond a you know beyond a reasonable doubt uh and and that there's a you know there's a sense of closure yeah. here i think part of the tragedy is that there and and part of why it's not definitive is that there's no closure so i think Vaughn actually would be more famous and you would learn it always in us history if it was like a clear cut case <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. uh there there's a way in which here it's like people don't actually always know how to teach it because right what are we are we teaching a morality tale or what if they were guilty is and what's the so i think that that's where that's where the conf the confusion comes in but i always saw this if fundamentally as a human story. I think most, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of these legal cases are, that's really about human beings, about people and what they go through. Absolutely. And, and your point about, you know, the, uh, the, the two victims of the initial crime, I mean, you know, that's why we want our justice system to, to work right is because, you know, you, the last thing, you know, that the families of those two people want is to have the wrong people uh, be convicted yeah. of the crime and the people who actually did it get away with it. Um, yeah. You know, so it's doing justice to that yeah. is to make sure that we do everything uh, right and um, um, and get justice and, as close as we can. And um, to Mr. Winter, my um, AP U.S. history teacher, I'm really sorry if you didn't <laughs> teach me about this case, if you're listening. Well, he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll be teaching it from semester. now on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's going to devote he's going to devote <laughs> his golden years now you're studying the Sacco Vanzetti. Right. He's, he's, when he when he passes out the when he passes out the uh, Sacco Vanzetti affair book, he said uh, you can thank uh, Professor Timken. And summer Ms. reading, Yvonne great Godfrey. summer reading. No, it's great, great beach reading. reading. Right. Beach reading. <laughs> take it to the beach. Take it to the pool. It's going to be awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, guys, I really I really enjoyed this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Professor Timken. Oh, no, it's this my pleasure. Been, uh, this has been great, and we really really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? Thank you for listening to the Great Trials Podcast. You can visit us online at greattrialspodcast.com. We realize in the show that sometimes we use terminology that not everybody would be familiar with or that uh, we haven't uh, always explained every part of the jury trial process. So we've done two special shows, one on legal terminology, and Yvonne, that's going to be 
hopefully not that boring. Uh, we, we, we've uh, included a number of people in that so that uh, we can make that more entertaining and a show on the jury trial process. And we've also put uh, links to uh, those episodes on our greattrialspodcast.com as well as a uh, glossary of the legal terminology on the uh, website. Yeah, so check those out. If you have a trial you would like to be featured on the Great Trials podcast, or if you're a trial lawyer and you want to be on the show, or if you're just a person who has something that you want to say to us, please email us at info at greattrialspodcast.com. Note if you have something mean to say, we don't have email. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> we only need a positive commentary. Yeah, we're fragile. Yeah. Um, you can also rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever. Again, if you have something mean to say, um, our podcast is not available for review. We, we also want to thank uh, the people behind the scenes. Uh, one is Taras Misher, who is our uh, uh, podcast extraordinaire. Uh, he is from Podcast on the Go. And Allison Hirsch uh, from Capricorn Communications. She is a magician when it comes to putting these shows together and getting them scheduled. And this has been the Great Trials Podcast, and we appreciate your time and hope you'll listen again. Thank you for listening.